This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And God told Israel how much he loves them in Deuteronomy 7.6. Deuteronomy 7.6 when he said to them, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. You were the fewest of all people. And the love of God that God has for Israel, it's not a passive love. It's not a love that God has for Israel. is not just, oh, well. It's an intense love, a very intense love. As God said in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, 1, Jeremiah 31, 1, at the same time, the Lord saith, I will be a God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people that were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause them to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindnesses have I drawn thee. That expresses the intensity of God's love. It's so strong for Israel that he says, I'm not going to let you get away with it. I'm not going to let you get away with sin. Oh, no, not Israel. And God says about Israel in Amos, God is saying in Amos about Israel, essentially what's said in 1 Peter 4, 17, 1 Peter 4, 17, the time is come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And the message that God is sending in the book of Amos is that when it comes to judgment, Romans 10, 12, Romans 10, 12, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. So because the love of God is so intense for Israel, the, judge of, the, the judgment of Israel is intense because Israel has hurt God. Israel has hurt God. Just this week, the Times of Israel newspaper reported that, that the, a Jewish conservative synagogue performed its first uh, marriage of two lesbian women. 
the sin of Israel hurts God. It hurts God because the nation of Israel is, is determined to become the world's capital for homosexuality. The sin of Israel hurts God. The sin of Israel hurts God because God's honor in the world has suffered under the sin of Israel. The world knows, the world, everybody knows the Jewish people are God's people. And so the world looks at the Jewish people to see what, what, what's God like? Well, we'll look at the people of God. When we look at the people of God, we'll see what God like. And so what does the world see when they look at the people of God? They see a country that's trying to become the, the capital of homosexuality. The world sees sin in the people of God, and that hurts God's honor. That hurts God's honor. And God's not silent about how he is hurt by, this, by the Jewish people. He cries out in this verse 13 of this chapter, Amos 2.13. Amos 2.13, God says, Behold, I am pressed under you as the cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Here God is saying how he feels about Israel's sin. He's saying, he's saying he, he, God has said about Israel, he said about Israel, he said in Deuteronomy 33, 27, Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God, he told Israel, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And here God is saying, I'm your foundation, I'm underneath you, I'm supporting you from under you, but your sin, Israel, is too heavy for me. The weight of your sin is making me feel like, verse 13, I am pressed unto you as a cart is pressed and full of his sheaves. That's what God is saying to Israel. I'm pressed. The cart is full. I'm pressed. Like the donkey cart I watched one time in Ethiopia as men were kept putting more and more heavy stones into this cart. They had a donkey cart over by the bus station and they kept putting more and more heavy stones until finally I watched the donkey just fell down. He fell under when the load of that cart, and that's what God says, I feel like that under the weight of your sins. In verse 13, I am pressed unto you as a cart that's pressed that's full of sheaves. And so God's honor in the world has suffered because of the sin of Israel. And he feels, and this is how he feels, and he, he says, he's, I'm not gonna keep doing this. And so God's heart also suffers now as he looks down the road in the book of Amos that all these judgments that are predicted it's going to happen to Israel. And so God proceeds to explain the reason for the judgment in verse 4. The reason for the judgment in verse 4, he says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err which their fathers have walked. So God says, verse four and verse four, they have despised the law of the Lord. The judgment is because of what they've done with the Torah, what they've done with the law, what they've done with the Bible. You see, judgment begins in the house of God, and the judgment is severe to Jews, to the Jewish nation. Why? Because in none of those previous judgments from Tyre and Moab and Ammon and all those Gentiles, none of those previous judgment was anything said about the Torah. Was, nothing was said about the Word of God. Nothing was said about the Bible. But here, God speaks to Israel about their response to his word. Why? Because those other nations didn't have the Bible. Those other nations didn't have the Torah. Those other nations didn't have the Word of God. Those other nations didn't have the Bible. And then... If they, didn't, if they didn't have the declarations of the Word of God in Bible, then how could God judge them? How's God going to judge them? 
But they did have another set of declarations. They had another set of declarations. And one of those, some of those declarations were the skies, the skies themselves, as it says in Psalm 19.1, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show us his handiwork. God has other declarations of his power. This is the declarations of creation. Creation speaks so loudly, Romans 1.19, Romans 1.19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and his Godhead, and they're without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So just based on creation, God judges. Romans 2.12, Romans 2.12, as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And this is the judgment we're at right now. And we come to Amos 1.1. In Amos 1.1, God saw concerning Israel. He says, I saw these judgments. I saw these words in Amos 1.1. And now we're getting to, in these verses, starting verse 4, what he saw. None of those nations were judged because of the law of God. Only Judah, it says the judgment there in verse 4 is they despised the law of God. They had the law of God, but they despised it. Other nations, they didn't despise the law of God. They didn't have the law of God. As a matter of fact, God just judged them because of violating their own conscience, simply what they knew. Creation, witness them. But Israel has the law of God. We also have the law of God. We have the law of God. We do. And God judged them because they despise the law of God. And that leads us to the question, uh, I don't want to do that. How exactly does a person despise the law of God? Because I don't want to do that. When a person despises the law of God, he first regards it as something that has no priority. No priority to read, just not worth taking the time to do. When the Bible is despised, it's not counted as valuable. It's not memorized. It's not, it's not taken to bed with in the mind. It's not held on to as you fall asleep. It's not something you wake up to. Despising the word of God, despising the law of God is to see it as unimportant, not important. When a person, another way a person despises the law of God is when he's just indifferent. He's indifferent. He's so bored with the Bible. He doesn't care what the Bible says. It's, that's the way we were before we came to Christ. That's the description, our description before we came to Christ. That was the, what the Bible calls at that time in Ephesians 2.12, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So to be indifferent about what the Bible says means to have no real interest in the word of God. But for us to have an interest in the word of God is not just something we wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm interested in the word of God, I'm interested in the Bible. It has to be cultivated. It's cultivated. The interest in the Bible is cultivated. I appreciate it so much of what Don was telling me. Don Ailes was telling me what he's doing with the Sunday school class of his kids. And Don is giving those kids, giving kids the tools like a plow to cultivate an interest in the Bible 
A concordance. A concordance is a great tool to cultivate an interest in the Bible. With a concordance, you can follow the words. How is this word used? All the different verses. And you cultivate an interest as you see the Bible's themes and you harness the mind and you harness the thoughts into an interest in the Bible. Another way that a, the Bible is despised is, is when a person despises the Bible is when they just don't want to make the Bible familiar to them. They'd rather keep it as something strange. This is what God says, uh, one of his things he had to say against Israel was in Hosea 8.12, Hosea 8.12, where God said, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. That's why Awana is so important. That's why good news clubs are so important because it, that's why pulling the Bible verses out of a little bread box on the table is so important every morning. It helps to make the Bible familiar, not as a strange thing. And then the Bible is despised, the word of God is despised when a person just becomes non-responsive. Just non-responsive to the Bible. God speaks, and, and the person acts like, I can't hear, I can't hear. And this is what God this is what God, how God describes it in Psalm 38, 13, Psalm 38, 13. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. No response. No hear, no speak, no response. And another way a person can despise the Bible, believe it or not, is when he runs into the cave of religion. The cave of religion. Religion without a personal, active relationship with Christ. Just religion. Jewish friend, Jewish friend of mine, who were in a church with big crucifix, standing there looking at this 500-year-old church, big crucifix, and the Jewish friend says to me, what do Christians believe about Jesus Christ? What answer would you have given to that question? What do Christians believe about Jesus Christ? I said, well, the first question is, what do you mean by Christians? <laughs> I know what he meant by Christian. He meant a person who's not Jewish or Muslim. He's obviously a Christian. There's nothing else left. Well, here at least. And I told him, it depends on what's meant by a Christian. I told him that it reminds me of, the, of a Jose, a uh, 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 Lyft driver. And he had a crucifix dangling from his mirror. And, I, and, I, and so we're driving along and I says, uh, Jose, what do you really know about God? I mean, what do you really know? I don't mean what you believe. I don't mean what, you, what you've been taught. I mean, what do you really personally know about God? And he says, you mean no, no? And I said, yeah, what do you know? And he goes, nothing. I'm sure he would call himself a Christian. I'm sure he would say that he, he performs religious practices. He might, he might even call himself religion. Religion can be a very safe retreat to guard a person from taking what Fanny Crosby called only a step. Only a step, the hymn goes. Only a step to Jesus, then why not take it now? Come in thy sin confessing to him thy Savior bow. So then God goes on to tell the Israel in verse four what they, what, what they did wrong, what they, what they went wrong. They were following lies. What are lies that can lead a person astray? One common lie that causes a person to go astray from God is the lie that, well, God really is not gonna be strict in judgment. He's not gonna do that. He'll weak. You know, those old words of Satan, keep on 
reverberating back in the minds of people. Genesis 3.1, Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. You know that phrase, hath God said, uh, one lie is to say that, you know, has God really said this? The Bible, it's been handed down so many years, translated so many different times. You don't know what God says. Has God really said? That's the same as saying God really couldn't have meant hell. Another common lie, another common lie, it caused a person to walk away from God, is the lie that good works is all you need. If you got good works, you're good for heaven. And God says, that's not the way to heaven. Titus 3.5, Titus 3.5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. This is the lie, the lie of good works is the lie that causes a person to say, I don't need a savior, I can make it on my own. But the Bible says not so in Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And another lie, another lie that causes a person to walk away from God is the lie that all you need in life is money. If you have money, you got everything. This is called in the Bible the deceitfulness of riches. Matthew 13, 22, Matthew 13, 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of money is the lie that if you have money, you have power. But that power is very temporary, very short-lived as can be seen in the history of the rich man who became so insignificant, we don't even know his name in the Bible, compared to a poor man who's been memorialized, his name has been memorialized, Lazarus, in Luke 16, 19, Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his feet, full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell down from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. That man's riches gave him power, but not for long very temporary. Pursuing riches in life blocks a person from serving God. You can't do both. Jesus made that very clear in Matthew 6, 24, Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, despise the love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Loving money, loving money blocks a person from loving God. Loving money brings the disease of what the Bible calls being pierced through with many sorrows. In 1 Timothy 6.10, 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. 
while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And the common lie, common lie today is, my money is my money. That's a lie. The common lie is, my money is my money and I can do with it whatever I want and I don't have to answer to anyone for it. But the truth is that a person's money is not his own. It's only lent to him by God for a temporary period of time to use for God's interest and at the end of life, God will ask for an account, give an account, tell us what, of what each person did with the money and the possessions that God put under his control. Give an account will be the call from God at the end of life. As in Luke 16.2, Luke 16.2, he called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Romans 4.12, Romans 4.12, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And today, for today, right now, today, just to believe that, that every person is gonna to have to give an account of what he did with all the money and possessions that God gave him, that's considered fanatical. Another lie that causes a person to go straight from God is that if you live a good life, that's all that matters. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you serve God or not. Well, the truth is no one can live a good life unless he surrendered his life to, to live under the mastership of Christ. Because Mark 10, 18, Mark 10, 18, it says, Jesus said, there is none good but one. That's God. Romans 3.12, Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are altogether unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Isaiah 64.6, Isaiah 64.6, Israel says, we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf. Our iniquity is like the wind. Take us away. Another lie, common lie today, is that sin is enjoyable. Just dive into it. Go for it. The old words of the deceiver, the Satan in Genesis 3.5, Genesis 3.5, God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened. You will be as God. You'll know good and evil. Those are the words of the devil. The forbidden that you have never experienced, oh, you don't know what you're missing. That's a pleasure that's beyond your wildest thoughts. And what happens? That lie hardens the heart from God. This is really a problem with sex outside of marriage. The real problem with sex outside of marriage is not STD, not sexually transmitted diseases. The real problem is what the sex outside of marriage does to the heart. It hardens the heart against God. The Bible calls it hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13, Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily, what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then God says, you're walking, you're walking after these lies that your fathers have walked out. Oh, when I hear this, so often I hear, well, your father, your God. They practically canonize the fathers. It's the argument of my, a rabbi friend of mine, he uses with me. He says, think, Tom, think, Tom. Think of your father, think of your grandparents, how they never believed in Jesus. Come back, Tom, come back. Come back to your family, don't believe in Jesus. What's that? That's verse four, verse four, the heir after which their fathers have walked. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.